We have arrived at the end of our Screwtape Letter series. This is our ninth and final week. Next week, we're going to be starting a new teaching series, verse-by-verse series through the book of Ephesians. I think kind of how I've been planning my my teaching series is we'll do a verse-by-verse series through a book of the Bible. We'll take a break, do something weird or topical or something like that, and then we'll go back to a verse-by-verse series through the book of the Bible. Uh, And I'm really excited about this. Paul's letter to the Ephesians has had such an impact on me. There are just so many good little nuggets in this short letter. I mean, all of God's word is powerful and effective and useful for us, but, you know, Ephesians is just one of those books that has had a special impact on me. I'm excited for us to comb through it verse by verse, just really chewing this thing up and and uh, just like we work through the book of Acts, we, if you remember, <laughs> we spent 45 weeks working through the book of Acts. We're not going to spend that much time in Ephesians. It's a much shorter book, maybe six to 10 weeks. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it. But today, we're going to bring this other series home. Today's our last week with the screw tape letters. So we have been looking at Uncle Screw Tape's advice for his nephew. Wormwood, who is a tempter demon, trying to lead his patient, which is a young British man, into the throes of Satan. But Wormwood is failing badly because not only is his patient now a devoted Christian, but he has recently fallen in love with a godly young woman, and he is just getting anchored in in this Christian community and family. So we're actually going to skip ahead quite a bit to the last letters of this book. And I mean, there's plenty of insights from C.S. Lewis at the end of this book. But I would say I have found, you know, as I'm reading through it again, it's very front-loaded with kind of the more relevant and accessible material in the book. Our boy Jack, uh, as we like to call him, he gets very abstract and philosophical towards the end of the book. He kind of saves the the meta-heavy mental stuff for the end, uh, some more lofty ideas and concepts and things. So um, I, I didn't really feel like we could pull as much from that for you know, this very practical sermon context that we're doing. But in Screwtape's 28th letter, getting close to the end, there's only 31 letters, we learn that there is reason to expect heavy air raids on the town where Wormwood's patient Lives. And if you remember, he is a young British man. This is during World War II. And this is referring to the Nazi Germany bombing campaign against the UK known as the Blitz, which, which occurred in 1940, 1941. And so Screwtape spends some time reminding Wormwood that death from war and from bombs, you know, a death in the patient's current spiritual state would mean that his soul would be forever sealed away in the kingdom of heaven because this young man is a Christian. So Screwtape's trying to remind Wormwood to quell his excitement about the bombs. Instead, Screwtape says that Wormwood needs to choose a focus as this danger approaches. Should he try to tempt him with cowardice or fear hatred against the Germans. And so in his 29th letter, Screwtape has some very sobering words 
about hatred and fear. And we're going to spend a little time talking about those two things. He says, hatred is best combined with fear. Cowardice, which is kind of a byproduct of fear, alone of all the vices, is purely painful. I mean, nobody enjoys being afraid, right? There's nothing pleasurable about fear and cowardice. But hatred has its pleasures. Hmm. It is therefore often the compensation by which a frightened man reimburses himself for the miseries of fear. The more he fears, the more he will hate. Ugh. Doesn't it just make you feel gross reading that? Oh, and yes, Screwtape got so worked up in our last time we, uh, we uh, checked in with this very kind of hatred that he accidentally transformed into a large centipede. That's why he looks like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hatred, fear, this is the kind of filth that the enemy tries to bombard us with on a regular basis. And war often brings much fear and hate. War brings violence and death. And there's so much hurt. There's just lost loved ones. And, and for what? For what purpose? Power, land, greed. So many wars are completely unnecessary. You know, we've talked about fear a bit in this series already, so we're not going to spend too much time on that. As we discussed, there can be kinds of practical fear that are helpful for us, like being afraid of cars in the street. That's a good fear. It protects us so we don't just run into the street willy-nilly, you know, that kind of thing. There's also the fear of the Lord, which is a holy reverence of God's power, his sovereignty, his might. And then there's this nasty, evil kind of fear that just comes from the enemy. It's not from the Lord. This kind of fear is one of our enemy's favorite weapons to use against us. But scripture over and over again teaches us that we have nothing to fear. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You are with me. That is why I do not fear. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Here's another one. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. I mean, I would probably be afraid if that started to happen. <laughs> but because God is our refuge and strength, we don't have to fear. We can trust him. You know, and, and fear is just something that many of us will face in this life. It is something we will battle because we are fra frail and weak, <laughs> fallible creatures, right? But when we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, when we regularly seek to be filled at the fount of God's presence and his love, we will not fear. You know, the Apostle John wrote in his first letter, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. 
If we position ourselves continually at the feet of Jesus, seeking his presence, receiving his love, there is no fear. There's only peace. So if we're struggling with fear, we just simply need to seek the presence of the Almighty God. If you're getting attacked with fear, worship. Fight back with worship and prayer. Put on your favorite worship album. Lift your hands. Just praise God passionately and the devil will flee from you. The enemy hates worship. In the presence of the Lord, we also remember how mighty our God is, the Alpha and the Omega. Nothing can stop our God, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so when we fully surrender our lives to the Lord, then and only then will we find true peace. So now, on to hatred, and this is just yucky stuff that we're talking about, but Scripture at times speaks of hatred of evil. Psalm 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Maybe you've seen that stuff. So it's very important to understand the difference between hating sin, hating evil, and then hating a person who is a victim of evil, hating a person who has been consumed, hijacked by evil. The old cliche that you've probably heard it, it's very cheesy, but it's true. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies? What? That is bonkers. That is countercultural. But that is truth and wisdom from the mouth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Love those who do evil against you. And what a challenging teaching this is, right? John also writes in his first letter, 1 John 2, 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. These are warnings against allowing hatred to seep into our hearts. So if you are a child of our Father in heaven, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no room in our hearts for hatred against anyone. We gotta get it out. There's no room in there. If you're a follower of Jesus, just as John says, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, war can often become a source of much hatred between people. Like, I can't help but think about the war in Ukraine right now, the war in Gaza, two wars going on right now. And, you know, something that we should be praying about, no matter the outcome of these wars, we need to pray against hatred between these two nations, between these people groups that are warring against each other. We need to pray against hatred because that's what the enemy wants, is to stir up hatred in these generations that are suffering so much hurt. You know, because someday there will be a young generation of Ukrainians and they will have a choice whether or not they're still the sovereign nation of Ukraine. They will have a choice. Will I forgive Russia and the instigators of these, this war for what they've done? Will I forgive or will I nurture hatred in my heart against these people for what they did? 
And, and there are some Russians that hate Ukrainians. War is ugly. Many people have died. So everyone is going to have a choice. Am I going to choose peace and co cooperation for this next generation, or am I going to nurture hatred in my heart, continuing this cycle of violence? The only way to stop the cycle of hate and violence is to forgive. You've got to cut it off. Forgive. You know, I pray for peace in Israel and Gaza. I know one thing for sure. There's been tons of discussions and debates about this war and people questioning Israel and all this stuff. But here's one thing I know for sure. Hamas is evil. Of all the research I've done, Hamas is evil. They've got to go. They do not represent all of Palestinians. They are an organization that was founded with a mission to destroy Israel. That is their purpose. This organization is pure evil. So we've got to pray for peace. We've got to pray for an end to this conflict. I mean, war is ugly. It's tragic, right? Many Israelis have died. Many, many innocent Palestinians have died. It's really heartbreaking. And I'm no war expert, but from what I understand, this situation in Gaza is basically worst-case scenario. Worst-case scenario in terms of how do we prevent innocent casualties, Gaza is the worst-case scenario. It couldn't be worse. It's this tiny, underdeveloped strip of land just packed with way too many people. Many of them do not want to be there, and they have nowhere to go. So this war has been started, and Hamas is building their military bases underneath hospitals and churches, which makes their own people at risk. It's, it's just sickening the way they use Palestinians as human shields. And even in myself, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't live in Israel. I don't live in Gaza. And even in myself, I, I'm struggling with this anger. Like, why is this happening, this injustice? And I gotta make sure that I don't let this anger turn into something that's gonna hurt my heart. You know, all I know is that we need to pray for peace. I pray for a quick resolution to this conflict. I pray that God would move with his hand of justice. I pray that he would protect the innocent. And after all of this, the Israelis and the Palestinians are gonna have a choice. Will they seek to live in peace and reconciliation, cooperation with each other, choosing forgiveness? Or will they nurture this ancient hatred that goes all the way back to their ancestors, Isaac and Ishmael? Centuries upon centuries of hatred between these two people. I pray that God breaks the cycle. You know, many of you guys are probably aware of the story of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom. She and her family helped hide Jews from the Nazis during World War II. And they were eventually caught, right? She, she experienced the horrors of Ravensbrück concentration camp, horrible place. You can read about it in her book called The Hiding Place. So Corey and her sister Betsy, they were there in that concentration camp and they preached the gospel and they, they secretly held worship services in the camp, which is so cool. Even in some of the darkest places, God is still working. He is still moving. Betsy did not survive the camp. Corey's sister died. Horrible um, conditions in that camp. Many people died. But before she died, 
Betsy said to her sister, Corey, she said this. This really struck me. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Wow, that's so powerful. Let me say that again. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. You know, by a miracle, by a miracle from the Lord, Corey was released from this concentration camp due to a clerical error. She was set free. But all the other women at her concentration camp in her age group, they were sent to the gas chambers. Corey alone survived. And she opened a rehabilitation center for other concentration camp survivors in Europe. And, and Corey Ten Boom had a choice. She could allow hatred to fester in her heart, or she could choose to forgive. She later became a missionary, traveling and preaching the gospel all over Europe, even in Germany. She traveled to Germany to preach the gospel. Can you imagine, of all the places you would go as a missionary after enduring something like that, I would understand, like, okay, you don't want to go to Germany. Totally get that. Totally get it. Incredible. She was preaching at a church in Germany, and a man came up to her. He was one of the cruel Nazi soldiers at Ravensbrück concentration camp where she and her sister were, where her sister died in part because of the cruelty of the soldiers there and the horrible conditions they had to live in. And this soldier said, I have become a Christian since the war. This man found Jesus. He said, I've done horrible things. I need to ask for your forgiveness. You know, this man was cruel to her sister who died in this camp. All the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers, murdered by the Nazis. She bonded with these women. They were like her family in this place. All of them killed. How could she possibly forgive this man who was standing there in front of her, holding his hand out? So I just want to read to you from Corey Ten Boom's book. I just want to read directly from her account of this moment. It's very powerful. I don't have it up on screen, so just listen as best you can. She says, It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. 
Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. Wow. She had a rehabilitation center for concentration camp survivors, and she said those who could forgive found healing and moved on with their lives. Those who could not let go of the hatred remained invalids. They remained wounded for the rest of their lives. Corey says, it was as simple and as horrible as that. She says, and still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. End quote. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is just incredible. And there's really not much else to say about that. She chose to forgive. She cried out to Jesus for help. And the Holy Spirit enabled her. She was overwhelmed with the love of the Father. Paul writes in Colossians 3.13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Lord, help us. Jesus, help us. Well, let's see how Wormwood's patient is faring in the midst of World War II. Will he give in to fear or hatred? Screwtape writes in his 30th letter, nearing the end now, the patient's behavior during the first raid has been the worst possible. He has been very frightened and thinks himself a great coward and therefore feels no pride, but he has done everything his duty demanded and perhaps a bit more. So this brave young man, bombs are dropping on his homeland. Of course he's afraid. Death is all around him. And yet he did not succumb to fear. He did not succumb to pride. He performed 
his duty to protect his country. And so we come to Screwtape's final letter to Wormwood. Oh, wait, that's not it. There we go. My dear, my very dear Wormwood, my poppet, my pig's knee, how mistakenly, now that all is lost, you come whimpering to me. You have let a soul slip through your fingers. One moment it seemed to be all our world, the scream of bombs, the fall of houses. The next moment, all this was gone. Gone like a bad dream. The patient, this young man who fell in love, he gave his life serving his country. He did not survive the blitz. Raid after raid, bomb after bomb, he eventually fell victim to the horrors of war. And Wormwood was there in that moment when the man passed over into the next life, watching from afar was all he could do. And Screwtape writes, did you mark how naturally, as if he'd been born for it, the earth-born vermin entered the new life? How all his doubts became, in the twinkling of an eye, ridiculous. The degradation of it. That this thing of earth and slime could stand upright and converse with spirits before whom you, a spirit, could only cower. When he saw them, he knew that he had always known them and realized what part each had played at many an hour in his life when he had supposed himself alone. So it was you all this time. So, <laughs> excuse me. This young man is meeting his guardian angels at death. He's meeting these servants of the Lord that are helping him pass over into this new life. And of course, C.S. Lewis is speculating here. We don't have full revelation, full understanding of what happens to us in death. But we do know this, Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. The angels of the Lord, these warriors of heaven, they're fighting for us. Every day, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. God's warriors surround us. You know, even today as we were worshiping, I bet there were angels here worshiping with, with us. Angels in heaven. Hey, I love that song. Yeah, newsboys. <laughs> so, hello, angels, wherever you are. Thank you for worshiping with us and help yourself to some coffee, donuts. I don't know if they drink coffee. I mean, it's amazing. Our God is amazing, right? His angels are amazing. His promises are amazing. And someday when God has determined for each one of us that it is our time, each one of us will enter the throne room and we will come face to face with Jesus. And we will probably be so humbled that we will just crumple onto the floor in his mighty presence in the weight of his glory, his holiness, his majesty, his love, but we'll also experience his gentleness and he'll lift our head. And my prayer is that he'll say to me, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Man, I'm emotional today, sorry. <laughs> Ooh, almost done. So Screwtape writes, he saw not only them, he saw him. This animal, this thing begotten in a bed, he's so bitter, isn't he? Could look on him. What is blinding, suffocating fire to you, Wormwood, is now comforting light, clarity itself. Gosh, that sounds wonderful. So Screwtape is unable to see the beauty in all of this, the miracle of what our Heavenly Father, Abba, has done for us. We are made in His image. We, man and woman, uniquely made in the image of God. No other creature is made in the image of God. Humankind, we are made in the image of God. God breathes his breath of life into our lungs. The breath of the Almighty is in our lungs. When we sing to God, we're just giving his breath back to him. God shows us before the foundation of the world. So if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're no longer slaves to sin. We are adopted as sons and daughters, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, we are children of God. We are heirs of God. We become co-heirs with Christ. And we still wait for Jesus' return, but we cling to this promise in John chapter 14. Jesus said this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know, there's lots of debates about heaven and like, is it this place up in the sky? Is it like another dimension? Is, you know, the new Jerusalem, is it really just going to be earth restored? Is heaven going to come down? And lots of scholars debate this back and forth. I do know that heaven is wherever God reigns. Heaven is wherever I can just go hug Jesus. <laughs> That's an incredible promise. You know, this brave young man in the screw tape letters, he entered the presence of God. And each follower of Christ, we will someday enter the glory of the Lord in this age to come. And that is the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for this journey we've taken through the screw tape letters. God, there's just been some heavy stuff we've talked about these last nine weeks. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll use it, that your Holy Spirit will continue to work in us and Lord, I just pray against fear and hatred in the name of Jesus. Fill this place so powerfully with your Holy Spirit. Help us to become aware, so aware of your presence that fear just evaporates. And God, for any of us who are struggling with anger or hatred, 
or unforgiveness, God, I just pray that you would just reach in deep. Get your hand deep into the soil of our hearts and uproot that weed in Jesus' name. Pull it out. Lord, I imagine that's going to be painful when you do that kind of surgery on our hearts. But God, I just pray you would fill us with the forgiveness of Christ. Help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Enable us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord Jesus, so that hatred does not damage our souls anymore. And Lord, I just pray for Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and Russia. I pray for this world that you would bring peace, that you would protect the innocent, that you would end the conflicts. And Lord, man, it would be really great if you could just come back and fix everything. <laughs> and I'm ready. Today's benediction is from Ephesians 6. I just invite you to hold your hands out to receive a blessing from the Lord today. May you be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Amen. Go in peace. I love you guys. Have a great Sunday. We will see you next week.